Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you recently handled a case where one brother was suing his two brothers, your clients. What happened? Well, Dennis, the two brothers struggled but succeeded to build three restaurants. But when the third brother returned from being out of the country for 20 years, he sued to get one-third of their business. He claimed an oral deal between them because he had once worked as a cook for them. So what did you do? Well, during trial, we got him to acknowledge certain key dates and to his complete lack of documentation. So when his side rested, we asked the court for what's called a directed verdict, a motion that gets rid of a case after fatal facts come out during trial. And the court agreed, shooting down all but one of the brothers' causes of action. And we settled that one for a very small amount and excused the jury. And justice was done. My friends, you know that I trust Barack Lurie with my own business and other legalities. So to make sure a deal is done right, call him for your own legal issues at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Park, 866-575-8111. is the Brock Lurie Podcast. With me, always my good friend and producer, Ari David, always a pleasure. Um, there is so much going on in the news that it is hard for us to talk about general themes uh, because uh, the news itself provides, with rapid fire, uh, themes that uh, we would never have expected of any president. In particular, uh, the latest news uh, and this will, th- I always like to make our podcasts, you know, fairly timeless, but uh, we do have jumping launching pads, I guess, uh, for, for points of discussion. And here are the launching pads. One is that we are now uh, opening the door toward uh, Cuba and uh, loosening the restrictions that we previously had with Cuba. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about, of course, the North Korea um, and the Sony Pictures incident. Um, and more particularly about uh, what this administration, what this all reveals about this administration when you join it with so many other facts that are happening at the same time. Okay, we are dealing with uh, an administration that I have never experienced in my lifetime, uh, uh, 51 years. An administration that seems to uh, have no problem with not negotiating when it comes to um, ending a conflict with an enemy. Cuba is such an example. All right, so what is the backstory here? The backstory is that um, through assistance with the Pope, apparently, for the past year or so, they've been negotiating with the Cubans, uh, whereby uh, they're going to ease restrictions on Cuba dramatically, such that there is uh, going to be much more tourism, that Americans can deliver much more money into Cuba, uh, that they will exchange embassies between the two countries, and for all intents and purposes, um, basically normalize relations. And uh, sign baseball players. That's right. <laughs> it's true. That's a big okay. And and apparently the Pope was very involved in this process too. Okay. And it's a year of negotiations. All right. So here's the question: Exactly what are we getting in exchange for all this? Where was all this hard negotiation? What, what did it lead to? What, what, what did we get in response to this? 
I'm not quite clear, other than the one tourist that they had captured and had, uh, who had spent about four and a half years in Cuba. Other than him, what are we getting in exchange? It, it's really not clear. And if, if that's the only thing we're getting in exchange, then I can hardly believe that it took a year to do this. Now, I, I, am I missing something? Is there something else we're getting in exchange? Are we getting more cigars? What, what, what is this? Well, yeah, we're going to get some cigars. <laughs> okay. Uh, maybe the theory is that somehow the, the tourism that goes to Cuba is going to be good for us, too. I, I'm not too clear. But if, if that were the case, then you would expect it to be a point of great contention, a, great, a point of great negotiation. But I highly doubt that that's the case. This seems to be a very unilateral result in favor of Cuba. And here's the bizarre thing. This all came at a time when Cuba was truly on the ropes, as it were, you know, to use the boxing ring metaphor. Um, Cuba has, had already been isolated significantly when the Soviet Union had collapsed. And then Russia, its continuing benefactor, also is now collapsing because of gas prices and otherwise. Venezuela, likewise, is not supporting Cuba as it used to. Iran is not supporting Cuba as it used to. So Cuba had been feeling the squeeze economically like it had never felt in its entire existence. And to say nothing of the general uh, incompetence of a communist economy, right? Um, And then all of a sudden, you know, we breathe more life into this horrific evil regime by telling them we're going to engage in trade with you. We're going to open the doors for tourism. And we didn't negotiate anything like uh, Charles Krauthammer had suggested, uh, where we would, for example, allow, uh, that Cuba would be forced to allow tourists to bring Bibles, for example, or to, to have a radio-free Cuba. Uh, yeah, free, free Cuba. Yeah, radio-free Cuba a situation whereby we could broadcast our thoughts and our declarations of freedom um, and that we couldn't do, we could do everything except for actually advocate the overthrow of the Cuban government. Or Fine. even have them release travel restrictions on their own citizens traveling to the United States. Sure, anything like anything. that. Uh, nothing of the sort happened. So they get to still imprison their people. They get to still torture their people. They still get to, liber- uh, to, to restrict the entire liberty and freedom of speech that people should have. Um, but somehow uh, it's all good. It's all good, you understand. Now, offline, we talked about how this is so similar. I mean, the only analogy I can think of is the classic example of uh, the Japanese surrendering, surrendering on the USS Missouri, right? And they basically, it was an unconditional surrender. They gave up everything. They gave up the, um, the, the deity status. They, they, they were forced to democratize. Um, the emperor, yeah, they got rid of the emperor. The, the emperor had to, uh, you know, he's nothing more than a titular symbolic figure at best. And, uh, and not only that, but they also had to suffer American troops there for 10 years. All right. Uh, never mind that, they, that the American troops did great stuff while they were there, but that's, that's another story. It was um, a complete victory in every sense, and there was no negotiating with them. Sign here, or we're done. That was, that was yeah, it. we have another bomb ready for you. <laughs> right, exactly city. right. That's exactly right. Now, the equivalent of what, would, what we're dealing with Cuba... Because Cuba was on the ropes, too. Uh, you know, we, we could just squeeze them even more and uh, eventually just do a blockade. And frankly, my, my preference would be uh, to undermine the, the Cuban government completely and uh, do a full, full-scale Grenada-type invasion, and uh, things would be much, be- much better. 
uh, or at best, uh, sorry, at worst, simply wait it out for the, 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 uh, the Castro brothers to eventually die or to otherwise see further weakening of the government and then attack. It doesn't matter. The point is we have them on the ropes. So imagine the analogy of the Japanese now surrendering on the USS Missouri, and before they actually sign on the dotted line, somebody from the American contingent says, listen, I think we've got a way out of this, uh, this war and to end this war peacefully. Uh, how about if, um, listen, we'll just let you keep Manchuria. Uh, you can keep all your, uh, your sex slaves. You can keep uh, everything you've done uh, you know, with the Koreans as well. And uh, you just promise uh, not to uh, be uh, too you know, angry with us, and you don't fight with us anymore, okay? You can fight whatever you want with any other country, but not us. Is that cool? And then the Japanese would look to each other, and they would say, yeah, totally cool. <laughs> and then they would sign that, no problem. But that's, that's you know, we are totally victorious vis-a-vis -vis Cuba. This, this punk island nation that does nothing for the world. It provides no innovation, provides no real uh, exports to speak of. No, they exported some troops, some troops to Angola. Yeah, okay. Bear with me. Um, I, I made your point. I, I understand. But, uh, but, you know, causing you, menace. Yes. Uh, anyway, the point is that you have Cuba that's really not delivering anything to the world. Bottom, that's the bottom line. And wh why we should play this game with them, that somehow this is a, a realistic way of approaching them, that this is somehow, that any good can come out of this. Oh, and by the way, we also delivered, um, so we also delivered three of the Cuban spies that we had uh, in, cap, in, in prison, and we delivered them back to Cuba as well. So that's cool. And one of them wasn't just a spy, but a murderer. Right. That's right. Good point. So that would be the equivalent, and that's exactly what we're doing with Cuba. Now, it begs the question, because I don't want to be this, this, this uh, I don't want this podcast to be solely about Cuba, because it really is emblematic of the whole Obama administration way. It's, it's as if they, they never see an opportunity that they can't squander. Right? You and I talked about, for example, the uh, revolution in 2009 in Iran, where all that Obama needed to do was simply say, we're with you, or maybe give you know, a little bit of humanitarian support, and, and then that might have fostered a much greater revolution. But instead, Obama remained totally silent. This was a, an opportunity that was so squandered. No, no lives would have been lost, not one, not one boot on the ground, right? And yet, we did nothing. Likewise with Syria. Likewise with Russia and Ukraine. Libya. Likewise with Libya. Everything about, about this, now, our detractors would say, well, what are you talking about? We did, we did invest a little bit of, of uh, blood and treasure into Libya. No, no, we didn't. For all intents and purposes, we did nothing. Okay, and, and France took the lead on that in any event. Um, and North Korea? North Korea, another good when example. Kim Jong-il died, we, did, we just let Kim Ung right. become the next, uh, you know, sunshine of the gods. We, we squandered that opportunity. And uh, what, what, Sony, what happened with Sony Pictures and how we're um, letting them ride uh, that, and, and we, we have no problem being blackmailed and extorted and everything else. So this is, this is a pattern that we're seeing. A pattern where there is no negotiation. Oh, another good example is um, the, the treaty with Iran, the nuclear treaty, right? This is a treaty where we promise to do nothing, we on our side, um, 
and accept that we'll give them all the time in the world to do what they want, and they promise to consider not enriching their uranium. And then when the deadlines come up, we give them more time in the right. world. Uh, and we give them $25 billion in order to extend that deadline, right? Well, we don't want them to fail and not enrich the uranium. Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly right, apparently. Yes. Likewise, uh, now that I think about it, the, the global warming treaty that we have with China, right? Here's, here is a treaty that commits us, the United States, to reduce our global uh, carbon emissions uh, in a dramatic way by the year 2020, I believe. And by contrast, uh, the Chinese need not do anything. It's all, it's, all, it's, yes. all, it's all aspirational, aspirational on their part. They just need to consider the possibility of reducing their carbon emissions by the year, uh, let's say 2030, shall we? 2050. 2050. Oh, I didn't realize. 30, that's right. Yeah, 30, that's years, 30 years from now. So um, that'll be nice. You know, I, I'm sure that in the year 2050, they'll say, you know what? We've got to roll up our sleeves. We've got a commitment that we made back in the year 2014. Uh, you know, we've got to do something now. No, they'll, they'll say, we fulfilled our commitment. We considered it. <laughs> that's true. Right. And then there's one more, Gaza. Oh, very good example. Very good example. You know, every time. Oh, well, you know what? Um, it's it's a shame that those tunnels were all caved in. Here's some money. We'll help you rebuild them. Right. Because it, I know what starving children need, and it's tunnels. Well, the bottom line is there are no requirements on the part of the bad guys, and all the requirements on our part. That's the, that's the, what's so bizarre. This is the only thing that is truly consistent in the Obama administration. And what what concerns me so much is that. You know, I talked to my Sunday show about the conflating of good and evil. When you mix those two together, that, that's what you, what you get as a result is chaos. It's as simple as that, my friends. That is practically the definition of chaos. One of the, the joys of separating is that you're able to determine what is bad and what is good. That is the first order of business, right? When you clean up your, your office or your house, um, part of the cleaning up process is to you know, take away all the cobwebs and make sure that that food is not on the floor and you mop up the floor and everything else. It's a, it's a process of cleanliness, right? And it also feels good. Things are organized. But we, are, we seem to be uh, investing ourselves in a state of chaos, almost purposefully, it looks like. There was, and, and I say purposefully because it, it's, it, you just have to scratch your head and say, how could he have not negotiated something far better with all his czars and advisors and, and cabinet uh, posts uh, to tell him, look, here's an opportunity. Let's, let's take what we can. Cuba's on the ropes, but we, we've given them nothing. Uh, sorry, we, we've obtained nothing from them in exchange. Nothing except for this one tourist. So how does Obama turn this around? He says, well, Look, we've looked over how uh, we've managed the Cuba situation, and nothing has worked for the past 50 years. And uh, all we know is that it would be crazy to not do something, to do the same thing over and over again, and expect a different result. Which again harkens to that notion of the definition of insanity, right? That's what the definition is. Well, that's a cute line, but the problem is that we've actually that we we were achieving the result that we wanted, which is to isolate Cuba, to make sure that. Uh, we, we do not respect it. It's one thing not to destroy it and send an army in there to destroy uh, the, the horrible Castro brothers. Fine. But it's another thing to, to embrace it and to help it thrive. And that's exactly, unfortunately, what we are doing. That's the one thing we are doing. And um, Obama seems not to, not to mind that at all. On the contrary, he seems to relish it. 
as if somehow this is a great moment in time. Now, when he said this um, about the definition of insanity sort of thing, where you know, we need to you know, really reevaluate um, our posture with Cuba because it's not been working. Well, it has been working like we just talked about. Um, th th then you ask the question, well, okay, let me, let me get this straight, President Obama. You are saying that you know better now than all the preceding presidents before you vis-a-vis -vis Cuba, since Cuba, uh, f since Castro took over Cuba. So since 19, what is it, 59, uh, we were talking about Eisenhower, Kennedy, um, Johnson, Johnson Nixon, Nixon, Carter, Ford, Ford uh, Bush Sr., um, and then of course uh, Reagan, Bush Sr., um, Clinton, uh, you know, Bush Jr., and now uh, all those guys, you know better than them. Okay, got it. Understood. And everyone in all their departments advising them. Right, of course. So that, that, hundreds that. of people. That's right. And uh, but but of course it's silly to think that way. But let's let's apply Obama's argument that you really need to reconsider things if things are not changing after 50 years, right? Hey, how about this? How about 50 years of liberal policies that don't work? Right? <laughs> why? Why? <laughs> you you, you seriously, right? You seriously, you seriously reviewed all these things and using your exact same argument, hey, how about changing all that? Yeah, war on poverty, minimum wage, high taxes. Affirmative action. Environmental policies. That's right, global warming. Women's rights. Everything that you can imagine has been wrong. And Affirmative you, action. Yep. Everything. As wrong as wrong can be, as you say. And, uh, and you never stop to think about it. How about, how about another area that I think you'll also be clapping for? which is um, the American approach, and for that matter, the European ap approach, toward the Middle East conflict, right? Exactly. It's been more than 50 years, and they, they keep on trotting out the same mantra, land for peace, religion. Um, Two-state solution. Two-state solution. Yeah. And it never dawns upon them that perhaps what's going on that, that explains this is that there's some really bad guys who want to simply destroy Israel. End of story. Thank you. It might be that simple as an explanation. And really? We, yeah. Really? It just might sure? be. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And, and we know it for a fact because we have tried time and time again to, at one point, give 100% of what the Palestinians claim that they want for peace, in exchange for peace. We've offered it, and then they spat on us, and they, then they started another uh, intifada, which is a loose translation for uh, revolt or war. And uh, so, so we now know. So why, why not apply that same reasoning? I mean, I, hey, it's great, President Obama, when, when it's convenient for you to make this argument. And again, never mind that, in fact, the policy of containing Cuba was working. And it was putting them on the ropes. It was totally isolating them. This was the moment. But you, didn't, you, you squandered it. You didn't take advantage of it. But of course, we know that you don't want to take advantage of it. We, we know that you plan to squander this. This is your goal, because everything you've done has been consistent with squandering these opportunities. You've, do, you've done nothing when it came to Russia's invasion of Crimea or Ukraine. You've done nothing when it came to the Syrian use of chemical weapons. You've done nothing when it came to ISIS, of any serious consequence. The air power alone just can't work. Um, you, you, you pulled out everyone from Iraq and then expected some sort of great result out of that. And when our boys were killed in Benghazi, you threw in jail a Christian-American filmmaker. Right. I, I, we'll talk about that in a moment because I'm, I have a question for you about that. But this is, 
this is what we're seeing here. This is... It's you called know, it's deliberate. Yeah. Well, there's, there's an expression which, uh, you know, snatching defeat out of the jaws of victory or, and vice versa, right? Uh, you know, normally speaking, you think of defeating, uh, snatching victory out of the jaws of defeat. That's fine. Um, like any myriad of movies where, you know, they, they are able to, like in the movie Jaws, right? The, the, the shark is about to come and, and destroy this boat in one last fell swoop. But the Roy Scheider character manages to, with one last bullet, Right to hit the bomb, uh, the hydrogen, whatever the little thing. The air that's, tank. That's the in air tank. Mouth, yeah, yeah. That's, in, that's in the shark's mouth, and that's the thing that blows him up. Great. That was his only shot. Truly, snatching uh, victory out of the jaws of defeat, as it were, literally and figuratively. Right. Um, but, but that's not what's happening here. We're only snatching defeat out of the jaws of victory. We've had all these opportunities. We have the strongest country in the world, the the best army in the world. And, and circumstances have played out such that our enemies are in such weak position, and yet it's as if we, we tell them, no, 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 we, this, this fire needs to continue. You know, it's, it's, it, you, know you put out a fire, and, and if, it's a, if it were Obama, he'd say, whoa, 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 guys, we, we need more gasoline on this fire, please. Thank you. We, come on. Well, that's what he's doing <laughs> with the riots. Yeah, well, for sure. That, that's where I was leading to. It seems like when, when it comes, the only conflict he seems to really love is the is the Ferguson riots that are nationwide at this point? When the victims are Americans. Yeah, yeah, that's it's or a bizarre thing. Or... Uh, you know, I'm sure that a lot of liberals out there listening are saying, "How can you say that? This is paranoid, Barack and Ari." No, you know, it, it, look, it's not paranoid if it's true. <laughs> well, but they'll say it's not true. They'll say anything. I know. Here, here's here's what I invite them to do. Look at the facts and ask yourself, what would you do in these circumstances? Or better yet, what would Ronald Reagan do under these circumstances? And, and how would he have handled it? And better yet, if you, if you don't want to answer that question, ask yourself, what would Obama do if it were confronted with the Cold War and he had to go to Reykjavik with Gorbachev? What would happen then? Right? And we know that Obama would not say, I'm going to build up my army. I'm going to build up my nuclear missile defense uh, to the point that we'll strangle you economically. He wouldn't say that. He would, he would continue to negotiate with, uh, with, with Gorbachev. On the contrary, he wouldn't, I guess he wouldn't negotiate at all. He would expect nothing from the Russians, and he would expect everything from us. He'd pull out of Western Europe. He'd say, you know what? We c- this is Obama in 1983. Oh, please give me this. Europe has been divided for far too long. European <laughs> unity is paramount to my agenda. So, for European unity, I'm pulling out of Western Europe. <laughs> it's been 50 years. It's been 50 these, years. These results have uh, not been so satisfactory. We've got to try something different. Right. <laughs> exactly. It's unfair to make the Europeans live as two Europes. I just remembered something, speaking about Europe. And this is consistent with everything we've been saying. Obama pulls out all the missiles from Poland. Yes. Unilaterally. Yes. Okay. And then he also says, we will reduce unilaterally our actual nuclear uh, armaments completely and expect and hope that Russia will do the same. Let them consider it. And they went, okay, we considered it. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, and they're laughing all the way. This is, this is the pattern that I ask my liberal friends. Please, these are facts on the ground. Yeah, one more thing. They considered it, and now what are they doing? They're flying provocation missions off of the California coast with nuclear-armed bombers that are 
loaded and ready to deploy. Yeah, well, the, that's, that's the obvious response that you're going to expect from people that, that don't have any obligations on their end and when, when we weaken ourselves. So what I'm simply saying, my friends, these are facts on the ground. You, you cannot tell me any point where Obama pushed his advantage, where he insisted on something and said, you better do this or else. You, you don't have that situation, my friend. You don't have it. And if you do, please write me at info at law.com if you think you have it. But tell me one instance where, at least from an international point of view, that, that Obama has achieved anything in terms of extracting something from the bad guys in exchange for the, the, the goodies that we give to those same bad guys. You mean strengthening our position and weakening the yeah. to gain concessions? You mean like Bo Bergdahl or... Yeah, let's talk about Bo. That's, Bergdahl is another good example. Gosh, there's too many of these examples. Well, it's his agenda. In fact... The, wait, wait, wait. I, stop, 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 stop. Let's talk about that because that's... Bergdahl, I don't want to lose that. Yes. That's a, a good example of, yet again, of giving everything away to the bad guys while... Uh, obtaining almost nothing in response. Less than nothing. Yeah. Uh, well, we got a deserter instead, <laughs> right? That's what I mean. We got yeah. an enemy of us All right. to come home. So here's what we did with Bergdahl. Again, consistent with the same pattern we just talked about, where we give everything to the bad guys, the bad guys give, give us virtually nothing other than consideration. And we get, at best, a hope that they might like us. I guess that's the hope, the pattern. So... We exchange apparently about, about $5 billion, I think you told me offline. $5 billion, that's with a B. And that was given to Qatar. Okay. And, and, it, and we uh, release, in addition, five top guys from Guantanamo. And send them home. Send them home so they can fight with us again. And they have been. Right. And in exchange, we get this deserter named Brugdahl. All right? A deserter. Who should be in the brig... But he's now running around our country free as a little bird. Yeah. But, but this, I just want to say this is yet another example of how we fail to negotiate whatsoever. And it, well, there's one, it, it one can, more thing. Can, oh, I don't in the Bergdahl matter? One more thing. Mm -hmm. A few days ago, there was a massive bombing in Pakistan in which a school was... 140 I, people. I can't speak of these things for various reasons in this room at the moment, but the details were extremely gory. Apparently, the guy behind it is one of the five people released in the Bergdahl exchange. Oh, well, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. <laughs> so, see how that's relevant? And, and, of course, we will do nothing to, um, to, to demand anything from the, uh, the Afghani government or from the Taliban. Um, we'll be perfectly happy to turn tail and run completely from Afghanistan, as scheduled, by the end of 2015. Okay. So uh, there you have it. You have this pattern uh, whether it's Bergdahl or Iran and the nuclear treaty or Cuba or otherwise, this is just one among a series of exactly the same um, screenplay, okay, or the playbook, if you like. When you're, when you're dealing with your enemies, you give them nothing, sorry, you give them everything, and they, in return, need only to consider giving you something sometime, whenever you feel like it. You know, it's aspirational. Whatever's cool with you, man. That's, that's the response. This is a consistent theme that you are seeing. And uh, that is terrifying. And it begs the question, why? What is happening here? This president need not do this. Cuba is a good example for this. I mean, I, I can kind of understand he doesn't have the backbone, let's say, 
to deal with Iran because he's really terrified of Iran. Okay. Never mind that he shouldn't be terrified, but let's just say for the sake yeah, of Yeah, like a Carter or a Clinton. You're right. just weak. Just, just weak that way. But when it comes to Cuba, excuse me, do they have the bomb? Are, are, are we really worried about terrorism from Cuba? Why didn't we just muscle them? This is so easy. This, these guys were the—they could have been like Grenada, an easy win. Just do it. Eight minutes, and right. it's over. That's right. You know, you want a victory like Osama bin Laden, right? They, you know, he, he pushed—he he said okay to Osama bin Laden. Um, any, any president would have, but let's give him credit for that. But, but this is even easier than Osama bin Laden. Just be tough with these guys. Extract something out of them. Tell them— that we're going to open up the doors, but you must do the following, X, Y, and Z. And then something good can happen. But they're not, Cubans have to do nothing, nothing at all. And that is the pattern that we will continue to see with this administration going forward. I'll be very surprised if they'll ever pull out an agreement of any kind saying, here's what what, uh, we must do and here's what they must do. It won't ever be like that. Because everything we've seen, not just politically, but also in the global warming realm as well, every single thing we've done has been uh, an empty treaty, an empty agreement, an empty negotiation. And we're led to believe, at least with Cuba, that this has been in the works for a year. What, what, this is the kind of, kind of uh, agreement that you get? I mean, if I were to take, do, do a lawsuit, let's say, and I'm claiming that the bad guys owe on a promissory note they owe a million dollars, and I'm negotiating with them for a year, and then I come back and I say, they've agreed to say that uh, we're sorry that we haven't paid the money, and we've, we've agreed to dismiss the complaint. You would say, it took you a year to get to that point? You, you, in other words, you totally caved after a year. Well, yeah, but it took a year. <laughs> no, but, but Mr. Lurie, you're not getting anything. You, you've got a promissory note, and... You, you settled for nothing, for an apology? That's, and it took you a year to get to that? You call yourself a good lawyer? That, that, that would be the equivalent. That's this like is, the art you talk about where they have a blank canvas. Yeah. They say it took me 10 years. Ten, yeah, exactly, 10 years. To do that, that's to buy a, a canvas. That's a very good example. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like, and now my, my <laughs> chef d'oeuvre, my, my masterpiece. I've been working on this for 15 years, huh? And... Uh, and then, then, of course, there's a big veil and everything else, and you finally pull the lever, and everyone, and there's thousands of people, including the Pope, <laughs> who's there to see the latest and greatest artistic work of one Ari David. And there Don't it blame is. Don't me for this. I am, uh, my, I'm so proud of this, and I want to thank my, my beautiful wife, who has been, and my mistresses, and so on, yes. <laughs> and all the paint I never used <laughs> on this. I can know, and the paintbrushes that I never used. Huh? All the paint I saved <laughs> and didn't have to clean the I carbon footprint. The carbon footprint. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you nothing. Huh? Nothing. <laughs> nothing. And then uh, the, you know, the veil comes down, and, then, and everyone says, ooh, la la, and they all clap their hands. That's the equivalent of what the Obama administration does. Okay? Just keep that in mind. You tell me, my dear listener, if we're wrong. Give me examples and give me hard examples. My friends, I'm Barack Lurie. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you real soon.